Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Home and home. Quarterbacks are on the move around the NFL and it has nothing to do with their mobility. It is going to be a wild offseason at the quarterback position and Major League Baseball swinging for the fences with some new changes, proposed changes for the MLB postseason. They are wild. They are bachelorette-like with roses being handed out in prime time. It is a Tuesday, home and home, a radio.com sports original. We're brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Check them out, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. They are the smartest Way to hire. I'm Dave Briggs. I'm home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, he is home in Pennsylvania. We'll go to the home market of the Dallas Cowboys later on. Talk to Mike Fisher about the future of the quarterback position for the Dallas Cowboys. You thought that was one of the more stable spots around the league. But today is February 11, 2020. On this date, 30 years ago, arguably the greatest upset in the history of professional sports, Buster Douglas knocked out Iron Mike Tyson, who was 37-0 in Tokyo. We'll talk to Jeremy Schapp, Emmy Award-winning reporter, director of 42-1, to the 30-for-30 on the Buster Douglas knockout. We'll talk to him shortly. Should be a fascinating conversation. But we start at the quarterback position. Mr. Ross Tucker, how you doing, my friend? What is happening in Dallas at the quarterback position? It looked like a done deal. They would sign Dak Prescott to a long-term contract somewhere in that neighborhood of 35 plus million per year. And then came Michael Irvin and shook everything up around the league. Yeah, evidently. I, I, I'm not buying it at all, Dave. I got to tell you, I, I really am not. I'm not buying Brady the Cowboys even a little bit. I'm not buying the Cowboys not getting a deal done with Dak Prescott. Now, I don't know who Michael Irvin is talking to, who are these important people are that he has since clarified are not from the Dallas Cowboys. So how important can they be if they're not from the Dallas Cowboys? That would utterly shock me if the Cowboys did that. And frankly, I think it would be a terrible, terrible short-sighted decision if they went that route. I am putting exactly 0.0% stock in the possibility of Tom Brady going to the Dallas Cowboys. There's a bunch of teams that I think are much more likely than he is. I don't know if this is posturing by the Cowboys with the Dak Prescott contract negotiations, or maybe this is just the publicity rock star that Jerry Jones is knowing that speculation about the Cowboys and Tom Brady would be good for business. A lot of attention, a lot of discussion about the Cowboys. And you know what? Maybe it doesn't hurt all that much in the negotiations with Dak Prescott while they're at it. 
It is the mother of all negotiations. If that's what this tactic is all about for Jerry Jones, the NFL's number one businessman who leads the most valuable franchise in all of professional sports. Now, we referenced Michael Irvin, who got this started on WEEI Sports Radio in Boston, always on the Radio.com app, when he said he had talked to some significant people at the Super Bowl about this theory, that the Dallas Cowboys franchise tag Dak Prescott and then sign and trade him. They get two first-round picks, and then they sign Tom Brady to a free agent contract and that got everyone talking and everything stirring. And Michael Irvin then had to walk back these comments a little bit on Sports Radio 105.3 in Dallas, clarifying exactly how significant these people were that he spoke to. Listen. Let's just start from the top. Okay, you go and you say what you said. You clarified it on Twitter. Let, go ahead and clarify because you, know, you only get 140 characters or whatever on Twitter. Right, right. And first of all, I didn't clarify anything. I, I, I don't have to clarify. What I said was what I said. I said I talked to significant people. That means people that are in the know of these kinds of situations. Now, I didn't say I talked to Jerry. So what I what I don't like is when when you when I said I said exactly like I said. Then people come out saying, you know, in an article, well, Michael talked to people in the Cowboys organization. I never said I talked to anybody in the Cowboys organization. So when an article comes back out saying Michael's walking back, I'm not walking back anything. You guys wrote wrong. So so don't don't, don't put it on me like I did something wrong when you didn't do your work. Uh, and I'm not talking about you guys in particular. I'm talking about, you know, the people that wrote these articles as if I had a conversation with Jerry Jones or something like that about it, and I never said that. So, so yeah, that's all interesting there. But those conversations I'm talking about, I had, I really had. I was as shocked as anybody else is shocked to hear to, to hear about a possibility of that possibly happening blew my mind also. That's why I kind of tried to express that with people when I said, I, I enjoy vodka cranberry. You know, I enjoy oh, yeah. I had to put down that vodka cranberry and say, wait a minute. I'm going to have some more conversations about this. Like, I need to know if this really is a possibility, which I don't think it's a possibility. But but I did have conversations with people about it. Michael Irvin, 105.3 in Dallas on the radio.com app. We'll get into the vodka cranberry shortly. I love this idea. I absolutely love, I dream of this idea of signing Dak Prescott to the franchise tag, trading him to, I don't know, let's say Miami for two first round picks. They can take Tua. They sign Tom Brady. I love this idea, which means it's a horrible idea. I'm not a Cowboys fan. I'm not a Cowboys front office member. If I were, I would say this is a horrible idea. I love this idea because I'm a member of the media, technically speaking. I'm someone who wants something to talk about that is fantastic, that is interesting, and that ultimately has to fail. That's why I love this idea. It's a freaking terrible idea if someone inside the Cowboys organization is really thinking that 42-year-old Tom Brady, who's getting worse, is a better option than Dak Prescott, who's 26, getting better, threw for nearly 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. That's almost 1,000 yards more than Brady and six more touchdowns 
than Brady this season. This is a horrible idea if you're a Cowboys fan or front office member. It is a terrific idea if you are in the media, if you're not a Cowboys fan, Ross. Does anyone actually want Brady over Dak at this point? I, I, I would be, I'm sure there are some people that would be very, very short-term oriented if you went ahead and did something like that. Uh, they do have a good offensive line. They do have some weapons. But I would be surprised if Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones wanted to, number one, take that short of a view of the nucleus that they have built, the core of this team, for the next few years. I just don't envision them doing that. Then there's so many variables when it comes to whether or not you could draft a guy like Tua that to then say that's what you would do, you you don't control that. I mean, if they had the number one pick or the number two pick, maybe. Or if they could trade up and you felt like they could easily get him, maybe. But that's not the case. I'm just telling you right now, Stephen Jones had a quote, and that's the one that I take into account the most, where he said things are going to start to heat up with Dak because they have to make a decision concerning the franchise tag. I don't think they want him to play in a one-year franchise tag. I don't think Dak wants to. I think they probably end up getting the deal done either at the franchise tag deadline or, again, in June when it's the end of the last chance to sign somebody to a long-term deal. I don't think Dak wants to play on that one-year deal again. The only caveat I would say to any of that, Dave, is that if the Cowboys believe that because Dak had that pressure on him, because Dak was playing for a new contract, if they somehow feel like he plays better that way, then maybe they would have him on the franchise tag for this year. But that would be very poor long-term planning for the Cowboys because it'd be a huge cap hit for them for this year. And then next year, he would have all kinds of leverage out the yin-yang. And you'd still have to sign him to a long-term deal. And he'd only be more expensive then. Yeah, it it kind of feels right now like it might be heading the Kirk Cousins direction with the Washington Redskins again slapping that franchise tag on Cousins and then ultimately watching him walk at the end. It sure feels like the Dallas Cowboys at the end of the day like Dak Prescott a lot. Do they love him? It doesn't feel that way, but maybe that demand is around the $40 million a year mark, which only one quarterback in the league deserves, and his name is Patrick Mahomes. If he's asking for a dollar more than Russell Wilson makes, I'm the Dallas Cowboys. I have to make the same move, make him earn that contract, throw the franchise tag on him without a doubt if that's his demand. He's not a $40 million a year quarterback. The numbers are great. He is getting better. He is 26. He is nowhere near the league of Russell Wilson and or Patrick Mahomes. If I'm the Chargers, I would certainly consider the deal where you acquire a player with the franchise tag sending those two first-round picks because I don't think the Chargers get a great quarterback where they are. I think Tua's gone at Miami, which leaves 
leaves you with that group of quarterbacks that include Justin Herbert. And I don't love Herbert, clearly. I don't love any of the quarterbacks that the Chargers are going to get there. This is just a very intriguing. I don't know which quarterback situation has more intrigue. What Dallas does with Dak or where Tom Brady ends up, but it is going to be a terrific postseason, uh, offseason, just watching the quarterback position. And that was the subject of our poll question this morning at RDC, home and home, which quarterback do you want for the next couple of years? Tom Brady, Taysom Hill, who we'll mention in the news, and Philip Rivers will mention also in the news. And right now, no surprise that Tom Brady is the lead here on our poll. Almost 67% of you say he's the guy you'd want for two years. I think what's a real shocker here is that Taysom Hill, 20% of the respondents to this poll want Taysom Hill for the next couple of years. And we've only seen him as a gadget player no clue what he looks like as a starting starting quarterback. And we'll get to Taysom in just a sec, but let's start with Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers is a free agent. He and the Chargers, and I hate this quote, mutually parting ways as of yesterday. No one mutually parts ways in this situation. I've had uh, employers mutually part ways with me in the past. I was let go. Philip Rivers was let go. They don't think he has anything left in the tank at age 38. Uh, Philip Rivers has thrown 15 interceptions on average for the last six years. He is a interception machine at this point. Rivers double digits in interceptions 10 straight years. For context, Tom Brady, 12 of the last 13 years, single digit interception. So that just gives you a sense of how many picks Philip Rivers has thrown over the last decade. What's interesting also about the Philip Rivers news is, Ross, when the NFL posted on Instagram that the Rivers and the Chargers are mutually parting ways, Tom Brady liked that story on Instagram, sending people in Boston into another frenzy why does he do that in your estimation? You know, I, I've given up a long time ago, Dave, trying to figure out why Brady does some of the things he does on Instagram, especially as it relates to Antonio Brown, because I really don't get it. I, I'm really surprised that a guy as buttoned up who understands the importance right or wrong of everything he does. I, I'm surprised that he's liked the Antonio Brown stuff, the Antonio Brown post on Instagram. And I'm kind of surprised he liked the Phillip Rivers and the Chargers, you know, parting ways. You know, maybe it's just a, a story that he liked, but it's like people read into it. Does he like that the team's parting ways? Does he like that the Chargers have an opening? Like, you know, no matter what Brady does right now, people are going to read into it. And I'll say this about Phillip Rivers. Dave, I'm fine with the Chargers moving on because that's really what they're doing. Uh, they're electing to move on. I think if they really wanted Rivers back in a major way, I think he probably would be back, you know, if yeah. they were willing to pay him. But I think it's a fine time. With the, with the Chargers moving in their new stadium, it's a fine time for them to move on from a 38-year-old quarterback. I've got no problem with it. 
I'll just say this in terms of the interceptions. You know, he has been behind and trailing a lot more often than Tom Brady. He also has a much worse offensive line from a pass protection standpoint. Now, look, there's no question he doesn't take care of the ball as well and that he's more careless with the football, especially this year, than Brady is. But I think you also have to understand those statistics in context a little bit and not just take them for gospel, if you will, because those guys have been in very different fourth quarter situations. And it feels like if you watch the red zone on Sunday at approximately 7.10 p.m. Eastern time, (laughs) Phillip Rivers' team is always trailing, and he throws a pick to end the game every week. I mean, that's 16 picks right there because it seems like every week, red zone, you can almost lock that up. It's over. It's over. Mike Tyson has been knocked out. Unbelievable. This makes Cinderella look like a sad story. What Buster Douglas has done here tonight. Let's go ahead and call it the biggest upset in the history of heavyweight championship fights. Say it now, gentlemen. James Buster Douglas, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. That was Jim Lampley, HBO Sports 30 years ago today. Let's talk to a man who's the director of 42 to 1, ESPN's incredible 30 for 30 documentary on the fight that happened that night that rocked the world. Jeremy Schaff and a uh, multiple Emmy Award winning reporter and a fantastic looking gentleman. Westport's finest. Good to talk to you, Jeremy Schaff. How are you, my friend? You're you're full of it, Dave. But thank you. I appreciate all all those nice things. <laughs> so, Jeremy, doing, was guys? it? We're good, man. It's it's Dave and Ross Tucker's here. Was it to you the greatest upset in the history of sports? Yes. I mean, it, it, I, I I better feel that way after spending so much time uh, doing stories on the 20th anniversary, the 25th anniversary, and then last year with the 30th anniversary around the corner. Uh, uh, working on that documentary, 42 to 1, the 30 for 30 about it. To me, it is just, a, you know, it's the greatest upset in sports history. Um, you know, there, there are different ways, of course, that we can define our terms. But to me, um, based on what people's expectations were for that fight and who Mike Tyson was at that moment in time, you have to put yourself back in early 1990 and uh, think about how big Tyson was. He was the biggest sports star on the planet. He was 23 years old. I think at that point he was 37-0 and 0 with 17 first-round knockouts. Um, there were a lot of people, smart people, you know, not, not, not dilettantes who thought at that moment in time he had already demonstrated he was the greatest uh, prize fighter who had ever lived. And Buster Douglas, you know, it's interesting too, I mean, we could go on, you know, it, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a one punch knockout. 42 to one is unheard of in a heavyweight championship fight, because we always say one punch can change anything with the big guys, but it wasn't a one punch fight. He dominated him. He won arguably every round other than the eighth in which he got knocked down. So, uh, yes, biggest upset. 
Jeremy, great to talk with you. Big fan. I, I did watch um, the documentary, thought it was fantastic. Um, one part I forget about it that I, I wanted you to refresh my memory. You know, growing up, this is, you know, I was born in 79, right? So Tyson was when I was really into it, playing the video game, the whole deal. And I remember how big of a deal all his fights were, Spinks and all that stuff, and we all watched. But something tells me that the, the the Buster Douglas fight was like at midnight in Japan or something really weird. And I'm curious. It, was, it was in the afternoon in happened. Japan. So that well, what happened was so it was actually fought uh, lunchtime in Japan, so that it could be seen late prime time in the U.S. It was on regular HBO. I think the fight started, I think it was noontime in Tokyo. So it was like 11 p.m. on the East Coast on a Saturday night. And the point was having the fight in Tokyo, uh, Tyson had actually fought in the first event at the new Tokyo Dome a couple of years earlier against Tony Tubbs. And he had a global following, and he had an especially large following in Japan. And nobody, as, as John Johnson, uh, Buster Douglas's manager, says in our documentary, no one would pay one cent to see Mike Tyson fight Buster Douglas in the United States of America. Uh, in Japan, Don King's thinking was there was still enough interest in Tyson that it didn't matter who his opponent was. So that's why it's kind of it's weird atmosphere in the Tokyo Dome because it's a Sunday afternoon um, and it's very quiet. Uh, it, it's, it's extremely quiet and the Japanese crowd isn't quite sure of how to react because they're watching something, well, not only that they didn't expect it, no one expected, which was Buster Douglas taking the fight to Mike Tyson from the very first few seconds of it. But back home, you could watch it on regular HBO, but most people weren't paying any attention. It was, you know, a winter Saturday night, uh, and it was late, and uh, there was no buzz for this fight because everyone fully expected Tyson to walk all over Buster Douglas. Yeah, that's kind of how I remember it, Jeremy. And then the other question, which I think is a difficult one to answer, but and mm. I know, and you and I both know I'll it's try. a combination. <laughs> you and I both know it's a combination of both. But if it's a if it's a pie full of blame or credit, how much of this is blame for Tyson and his training and how he entered the fight, and how much of it is credit that goes to Buster Douglas? Is it 50-50 each, or do you give one side or the other more of the credit or blame? Well, as you say, you know, the way I answer that question, Ross, is here. here's a... Uh... Here's what a champion is obligated to do, right? He's obligated to show up, and he's obligated to prepare for the fight. Mike Tyson didn't think anyone was worthy of being in the ring with him. Now, if he had been fighting Evander Holyfield that night, who was in the crowd, and you know that was going to be the next fight, the mega fight, do I think Mike Tyson would have approached it differently? Yes, but we have this, this tendency to make excuses for you know Tyson when he wasn't out of shape, he was 23 years old. He didn't have a cold. You could make a lot more excuses for Buster Douglas when he was going on, uh, what was going on in his personal life at that point. His mother died three weeks earlier. The mother of his son uh, had, was seriously sick as well. There were a lot of bad things going on in his life. He used all those things uh, to motivate him, to inspire him. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying you're doing this, but 
you know, you could you could always say, you know, did did Lennox Lewis show up when he was fighting Oliver McCall and Hasim Rothman and lost those fights? No, but that's you know that's the obligation. And if Buster had lost, nobody would have been making excuses for him that his head was in another place or this or that or whatever it might be. Um, did did Mike Tyson, uh, you know, sleepwalk through his training? He looked like he was in pretty good shape. He was sparring, you know, uh, regularly. Uh, but there's no question. You're absolutely right that Mike Tyson did not take Buster Douglas seriously. But again, we didn't take anybody seriously. I don't think we took Bone Crusher Smith seriously or Tony Tucker seriously or Tony Dubs. That was who Mike Tyson was. That was part and parcel of his invincibility and that aura of invulnerability. When everybody thinks you're untouchable, you start to believe it yourself. Talking to Jeremy Schapp, 11-time Emmy winner, outside the lines, host, director of 42 to 1. Incredible doc on the fight if you haven't seen it. Uh, look back and found a great quote from Sports Illustrated's Pat Putnam, who speculated that Buster would last as long as a plate of tuna in a sushi bar. Uh, obviously, just one of the many great quotes before this fight. Can you give us some context on how big a news event this was in terms of just how it resonated around the world? It's one of the few where were you when you heard this news exactly. in sports in our lifetimes. Yeah, there are very few, right? I mean, I'm 50. I think you're a little bit younger than me, Dave, so you might not have the same memories of, say, the Miracle on Ice. Now, we, we have sports memories, right? All of us, of our teams doing certain things. But, you know, in, in the U.S., you know, that's pretty regional. It's, it's pretty provincial. But in terms of the whole world with one sports moment that kind of shocked everybody and made everybody stand up and pay attention. I guess there's some global soccer and arguably, I guess, cricket events like that. But as Americans, something that everybody, it seems, remembers where they were when it happened. To me, it's, it's really just a miracle on ice. And I was 10 when that happened. And this, which took place uh, almost exactly 10 years later. And it was Huge. It was a huge story, and um, it continued to be a big story for several days afterwards as Don King kind of fought the result along with Mike Tyson, arguing that there had been a long count in the eighth round. But it was, um, it was uh, you know, uh, on a level, an order of magnitude almost, we can't compare anything that's happened the last 20 years in sports, uh, actually inside the lines, that kind of moment. Um, it was so shocking, so unexpected, and it was also on top of all that, I wrote a book about another great heavyweight upset when Braddock beat Bear in 1935. That was a huge upset. That was about the backdrop of the Great Depression and what Jimmy Braddock had been through, but that was not a good fight. It was a lousy championship fight, and Max Bear didn't show up at all. This was an incredible... You watch this fight, it is, it is thrilling. It is a great 10 rounds, even as Buster is entirely dominating, and he gets up off the canvas in that eighth round after taking a shot that would have killed other men, I think. I mean, it's, it's a prototypical consummate Mike Tyson uppercut, which it's a miracle that he got up. But he got up, no problem, and then he finishes him off. The next round, the ninth round, he pummels him, and in the tenth, he finishes him off with a remarkable flurry, a series of combinations. It's, it's still exciting. 30 years later. However, it was not the biggest thing that happened in the world 30 years ago today, February 11th, 1990. I don't know if you guys are aware, but just a few hours after 
Uh, Mike Tyson was knocked out by Buster Douglas. Nelson Mandela walked free for the first time in, I think it was 26 years. Holy cow, I did not know that. I, I think I, I thought you were going to say Dominic Wilkins won the NBA Slam Dunk Contest. I think it was also the same That day. was. That was, what? yes, yes. What but, a remarkable but day. walked out of, what was it, I think Victor Verster Prison is where he had been for a few months, uh, if not a couple of years, um, after being moved off Robben Island, and and that was the day he was freed. It was a few hours after uh, the Tyson fight. Jeremy, uh, I wanted to ask you about another project you worked on recently, um, and I haven't had a chance to check it out, but I know some of my buddies and former teammates were talking about it, about Drew Bledsoe, who was my quarterback in Buffalo for a couple years, right. awesome guy, incredibly generous guy. Uh, I guess I have two questions on that, Jeremy. One is if you can talk about, you know, what was most interesting to you about your conversation with Drew. And also, when is the re-air? Because I got to DVR that. I want to watch it. Oh, that's a good I, question. I, I scrolled through uh, my, my cable thing today trying to look for when it's on again because I didn't know it was on the other night. Um, I will get back to you on that, Ross. I'm not sure. When the re-airs are, I know that it's it's scheduled to run a lot, but it was it was a lot of fun working on that project. And as you say, Drew is a generous guy. He's uh, a warm guy. He's got a great story to tell. He's obviously a very bright guy as well. And I think he was just at a place in his life in the last couple of years where he said, "You know what? I'm ready to tell my story." And he really opened up to us. And I think um, a lot of people were moved by it. And it's kind of that big picture, right? You were with him in Buffalo, where he was fantastic uh, that first year, and then he loses his job to J.P. Lossman. And then he goes to Dallas, and he loses his job to Tony Romo. And, of course, before either of those things took place, he lost his job most famously to Tom Brady in New England in 2001. And so here's this guy, right, who's arguably a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's certainly borderline Hall of Fame-type quarterback when he retired, top 10 all-time in all the meaningful statistics, might still be uh, – I think. And, and yet when people think of him, they think of him as, as this guy who, who lost his job to Brady. They might think of him also as the guy who lost his job to Romo, if they remember that. And as the guy who missed out on the dynasty, who was not present for it. But when you go back and you look at how remarkable that story is, you know, he got them, he won two AFC title games. He got up off, um, he, he got up and, and won that, championship game at Pittsburgh in 2001, which put them in that Super Bowl, which Brady would eventually win. And so, you know, my big question with, with Drew was, you know, what is it like, you know, being this star, being this all pro and multi-time pro bowler. And then, you know, when people think about you, they think of you as the guy who got Wally pipped, uh, if you want to put it that way by, by Tom Brady. And how do you wrap your head around that? And how do you find peace? And he's found it. And, you know, it's through family and it's through applying himself to this wine business he has now, which is extremely successful. And he's just, um, you know, he's a guy who has, I think, uh, a lot of lessons uh, that are valuable for other people to hear. And it's not just about football. E60 Drew Bledsoe, better with age, will re-air Sunday, February 16th at 1 a.m. 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. on ESPN (laughs) News. 
I am here for your ESPN promotions, Jeremy Schapp. Thank you. And while we have you, uh, I want to ask you about Bob Knight returning to Assembly Hall. First time in 20 years over the weekend. It was an emotional love fest in Indiana, surprising to some. And when a lot of people think of Bob Knight and his relationship with the media, they think of Jeremy Schapp. And this legendary ESPN interview, we have a quick clip. And you have a real faculty for doing that. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. No, I don't think it's anything to really be too proud of myself. Uh, I think when I talked about Pat. Bob, you came here to do an interview. I'm asking you questions. When I talked, well, then let me finish the answer. Is that okay, Jeremy? Is that fair enough? Please go right Have I interrupted your questions yet? Yes. No, I haven't. You've interrupted my answers with your questions, and then I've tried to get back. So let me finish this. You've got a long way to go to be as good as your dad. You better keep that in mind. I appreciate Uh, it. Oh, the legendary Bob Knight taking a shot at you. I thought you did an incredible job in that interview. But it seemed like the coverage over the weekend, Jeremy, was basically all glowing and embracing of Bob Knight and his legacy. There wasn't a whole lot of discussion of Bob the bully. How will you remember him? Well, you know, actually, on, on outside the lines, we were on uh, that morning, 9 to 10, and we did a roundtable discussion about it. And there, actually, I, I felt like I was the guy, strangely enough, in that position uh, who wasn't focusing on um, the negative, the bullying, the choking, and that's all there, the abusive behavior. But my, my fellow panelists, uh, I guess it was Ryan Smith and Jen Latta and Will Kane, they, they were certainly talking about it. Look, I, I think um, Bob Knight will be remembered as one of the great basketball coaches of all time. Um, he'll also be remembered as somebody who came to stand for a lot more than basketball or sports. He was a symbol of a certain way of thinking, a certain kind of tough love. He was the biggest figure in the state of Indiana for two or three decades. He wasn't just a basketball coach. So he touched, um, he touched a lot of people. He touched a lot of raw nerves. He was certainly a, a bully. Um, he, he certainly did things that there's no way he would be, be able to get away with today and last as long as he did. Uh, but having that moment at assembly hall, you know what I thought, I thought that was moving and it was touching. You could see the genuine emotion there. And of course it wasn't Indiana that didn't want him back all this time. It was Bob who would not return after having right. been fired on September 10th, uh, the year 2000. So, you know what? I, I think the lesson from the weekend was, um, you know, don't, don't let these things go, go on too long because, uh, I, I think Bob would have enjoyed, um, being back in the embrace of that crowd a long time ago. He didn't have to wait this long. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Mike Fisher now with us, 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, always on the radio.com app. Fish, it is great to talk to you, my friend. It is Dave Briggs. It is Ross Tucker. Is Tom Brady going to be the next quarterback of your Dallas Cowboys? Well, no. Uh, But that doesn't mean that it's ridiculous. There's a lot of people that are billing this as a ridiculous concept. And if Dave Briggs, Mike Fisher, and Ross Tucker are sitting in the war room with an NFL team, you you better discuss Tom Brady, and you better discuss Philip Rivers, and you better discuss Dak Prescott. The, your personnel department wouldn't be doing its job if if they didn't touch base on these ideas. And of course, this particular idea catches fire because Michael Irvin, uh, who is not just plugged in with the Cowboys, but as a pro pro football Hall of Famer and and a bon vivant and everybody's best friend and an NFL Network reporter. Um, when Michael Irvin says that he heard this buzz, that's legitimate for us to report on his report. So the likelihood of it happening is small, but the gravitas that it has because it comes from Michael Irvin is substantial. So, but Mike, you don't really think that there's a whole lot of substance to it, do you? It makes a lot more sense, frankly, for the Patriots to – and I know the Patriots do a great job over the years of getting rid of a guy, you know, the year before he runs out of gas. But Tom Brady, probably, if there's ever an exception to that, that would be Tom Brady, who certainly is running out of gas. Meanwhile, um, the Cowboys and the Joneses have stated their plans with Dak all along, which is he's our franchise guy. We're married to him. We, we think he's the guy. We want to go to war with him. In fact, um, over the last couple of years, Jerry Jones has actually compared Dak Prescott to Tom Brady. Not obviously in every way, but, you know, in terms of class and leadership and want to and all that. So the the really smart money is that each team keeps its established quarterback. Yes. Talking to Mike Fisher, 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. If he's their franchise guy and and they want to they want to be married, why doesn't Dak Prescott have a long-term contract? What are his demands? Well, it's funny that, and, and I think the public usually does that, and most of us fall into this trap, but we think this is the team's fault. And we forget, and Ross Tucker, you were involved in these, when, when you were negotiating a contract and it wasn't signed yet, whose fault was it? Well, it was both of yours. That you, you didn't sign it and they didn't sign it. They didn't sign your idea and you didn't sign their idea. Um, Jerry Jones famously in 1990 pulled me into his office. It was the first day I ever met him, and we were talking about some contract that I was clearly close, and I said, why don't you just do it, Mr. Jones? He said, Mr. Mack, deadlines make deals. And so one of the reasons it's not done today is because there's no deadline today. But March 10th represents a deadline of sorts. Dak Prescott, by the way, still seems confused as to what the franchise tag means. It's not a punishment. It's not a penalty. It's not a shovel to the face. It's a tool by which teams can retain the contractual rights to a player. Of course they're going to franchise tag him if they get to March 10th and don't have a new contract, because if you didn't, he'd be a street-free agent, and that'd be preposterous. So the the tag is very real. The tag is a tool. Uh, The trading of the guy after the tag, here's one of the problems with that, man. 
what team, with all due respect to Dak Prescott, what team wants to give up two premium picks, two first-round picks, and pay him what I think the going rate would be, which is $37 million APY? It, it's hard enough for the Cowboys to wrap, wrap their heads around the $37 million. Why would another team not only do the $37 million, but also give up two number ones? So, Mike, you, you, you mentioned $37 million a couple times there. It, it sounds like, is that a number you think Dak would be happy with or that the Cowboys are playing with? Why, why are you saying thirty-seven? You know, we're doing some educated guesswork here, but in September, well, here, we'll, start at, we'll start at training camp. Jerry did his Malibu Nobu party, and at the party, a source collected a few of us around, a source, and said, we have made Dak Prescott a top-five quarterback offer. Pay him like a top-five quarterback. The next day, Stephen Jones, Cowboys COO, came on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas and said, we have made Dak Prescott uh, a top-five quarterback offer. So at which point everybody knew who the source was <laughs> from the previous night. <laughs> so uh, at, at that time and then later in September when they were very close, I think that number was 34. I, I think they were really close on 34. Meanwhile, I don't think that Dak Prescott's side has ever demanded $40 million a year. I think that report's inaccurate. And so, frankly, I'm, I'm splitting the difference between, wow, 40 would be insane, uh, 34 was almost done, so let's meet in the middle and let's get back to work. Is Jerry Jones worried about the dynamic of Dak Prescott signing that franchise tag and potentially not being around for off-season workouts with a brand-new head coach? Yeah, or even not signing the franchise tag because, of course, it's a, it's a tendered offer to him, and he could say, nope, not signing that. Now, until he signs it, he doesn't get paid. Ever, ever, ever. So eventually, you know, everybody except Le'Veon Bell eventually goes ahead and says, okay, you got me, I guess. And that'd be $27 million for the non-exclusive tag. But yeah, that, that is kind of a subtle problem here that the Cowboys hope to become a big one. They, they have counted on Dak Prescott to help them run the locker room. He is the leader of the locker room. He's got 52 guys behind him. And if he, if he goes through with his veiled threat to not hang around in Frisco, in the spring, which is how he said it. Well, he didn't say I'm not out with the team or I'm going to skip mini camp or I'm going to skip OTAs. He just said I might not be in Frisco during the springtime. And if he went through with that, you bet. That would certainly cause some, some fraying, if you will, of the, of the fiber of this team's chemistry, which is already uh, – th- there's already enough issues there off of last year. And then, yes, the new coaching staff under Mike McCarthy – and his assistant head coach, who isn't really a coach, a football coach, but rather a life coach, uh, Rob Davis, who played in the NFL for 10 years as a long snapper and then was in the front office in the Packers and is now coming to Dallas. Literally, his background is more of life coach than football coach. He'll have his hands full if he doesn't have Dak Prescott available to help him. And, and Fish, just to summarize here, What's your best guess as to whether or not they get the deal done by the 10th versus him being franchised? Yeah, I don't think they'll get it done by the 10th. And so the the non-exclusive tag will go up. They'll continue to negotiate. Then you have July till the middle of July. Last year, the date was July 15th, I believe, to negotiate or or else your franchise tag. I I believe that he will will have a new five-year contract 
that pays him $35 million APY, whatever that adds up to, the biggest contract in Cowboys franchise history, and I bet you that'll be done July by July 15th. But there will be a lot of nail-biting between now and then. There's the news. Uh, follow Mike Fisher at Fish Sports. Listen to him on 105.3 The Fan on the radio.com app. One last Cowboys question from me, and it's Amari Cooper. Is he back in Dallas next season? Well, they've said, again, that that's our number two priority all along. Now, I do think, though, that the new coaching staff comes in and everybody needs to sit down and, and reevaluate everything we ever thought, especially after going 8-8. Eight and eight. You know, Amari put up great numbers and yet disappeared. Uh, the home and road splits were weird. Uh, cold weather games were weird. When he went against a top-notch cornerback, it was weird. And then not being in the game on fourth and eight in, in what was basically the NFC East championship play in week 16, that was weird. I, I, I think they wish there was a way that, to not do this at $20 million, and he could get a transition tag and, and be stuck here for one more year while they continue to evaluate. And I think that might really be in play. The Oscars were Sunday night. The awards were handed out. It was a boring, stuffy show all night long that people apparently didn't want to watch so much. It was the least rated Oscars of all time. And put in sports perspective, 20 NFL games, single NFL games, drew a larger audience than last night's Oscars, the Oscars that used to put up more than 40 million viewers, that elitist boring show clearly not resonating with the audience maybe they need categories like best comedy let the people weigh in on what was laughable what was hilarious over the past year that reminds us of one of our best comedy clips from the past several months here on home and home which was kind of a ross tuckerism when he mixes names or metaphors or phrases like this one this is not Ted Cronkite, okay? This is not Tom Brokaw on CBS Nightly News or whatever he was on or whatever one you're going to be on someday, Briggs, because you're better than those other dudes. I've watched them every once in a while. You should be the Nightly News guy. He's not tweeting about important life issues. He's tweeting about dudes getting injured and signed to play football. And if because of his social media following. I just did a couple tweets last week for Natty Light Seltzer. It's delicious, probably. <laughs> I don't know, but I did tweets for probably. it. Natty Light Seltzer, coming to a store near you. I love Natty Light. My wife loves seltzer. Combine them. I'm happy to do a tweet. Thank you very much, Natty Light Seltzer. Who the hell is Ted Cronkite? <laughs> I heard nothing you said after you <laughs> dropped Ted freaking Conk. Ted. Walter. Walter. His name is Walter. I don't know why I said Ted Conk. Only the preeminent newsman in the history <laughs> of news. I can see how that one would slip your mind. And there's your first nominee for best home and home comedy. At least you caught yourself and came around to Walter Cronkite from his friend Tom. Yeah, you know, I, I think I combined uh, Walter Cronkite and Ted Koppel. For some reason, Ted Koppel was in my head. 
My beard was thick back then, man. I don't know when that was, but my beard was thick. That was my big takeaway uh. from that one. But your reaction and then when you call me on it, that's going to be tough to beat. Yeah, you, you haven't mixed up a name like that in a while. we got to get back to those good old days of you mixing up names. All right, next nominee, best comedy here on Home and Home, is when I challenged Ross Tucker's central issue, I believe, as a human being. Seems like a nice enough guy, but he doesn't have pets and doesn't like dogs. The number one flaw of Ross Tucker, our second nominee, best comedy. It's it's dicey. It's dicey. Um, you're trying to wait, watch wait, wait. TV. You're trying to watch TV and they're like slobbering all over you, bothering you. Um, you have to pay money to feed them. You have to take them to, for walks so that they poop. And then in in return, maybe once a month, you go to some field and throw a stick or a Frisbee. I'm just not seeing the equation here. Once a month, you go to a field oh, and throw I... a stick or a Frisbee. Okay, that's kind of nice for that one day a month. Every no. other day, every other day during the month, you have to feed them and take them for walks and give them attention. And they bark when you don't want them to bark. And I, I, I just, I don't see it, Dave. I don't see it. I promise. I promise we're going to get to football. But I am disturbed <laughs> about the type of human being you are. You are a wretched, awful, heartless, soulless, cold, unnatural human being. You're un-American. Our next nominee on Best Comedy here on Home and Home. I, I will never understand this thing about you, Ross Tucker. Like, I feel like something is missing genetically. There's just part of you that most humans have that you don't have. And I can never get past it. I really do like you. Most things about you. But I cannot understand the lack of, of, of empathy, of caring for a pet. Like, when I come home... And I've been gone two hours, four hours, six hours, doesn't matter. That dog is sitting by the door waiting for me to come home, sit on the couch, hops on my lap, and just makes me feel better about life. I don't understand how you don't have that part as a human being. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for you. And if, and if you need that to get through the day or your life, that's great. I already feel pretty great about life. And I get that from my kids when I say goodbye in the morning. And when I, and when they come home from school, I already I already get that. I don't need it. Frankly, I think you could argue that having a pet it takes away time and attention from your children. Wow, I actually think it's time I share with my children. That dog is something we all share. And just get ready, my friend. Those sweet little lovable girls that you have right now, they're not going to stay that way, bro. And maybe that's when you're when your uh, empathy comes back, that that lovable Ross Tucker side of you comes back because those girls are going to be teenagers soon. And as this dad can tell you, teenage girls want no part of you. They will not make you feel better in the morning. They will not make you feel better in the afternoon. Full disclosure here, not an admission I am at all proud of. My 14-year-old girl put me in tears yesterday, refused to speak with me about Anything in her life, even after I begged for it, she walked away 
locked her door, broke my freaking heart. La, 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 I can't hear you. La, 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 I can't hear you. That won't be my daughters. Sorry. My daughters are the exception. They will always hug me and call me daddy until they're 50. Oh, my God. You are so naive, bro. I can't wait for that day when you come around and realize, honey, we need a dog. I'm getting no love from the kids. They won't even talk to me. One guy who talked to us on here on Home and Home, our next comedic nominee, was a former teammate of Ross Tucker's in the NFL. And he came on the program because Ross was certain that he would share a story about the other side of Dan Snyder. Dan Snyder is often ripped as cold and calculating and, well, non-human, kind of the way Ross Tucker is with pets. And Brandon Noble, Ross Tucker's former NFL teammate with the Washington Redskins, was going to come on home and home to tell us about the human side of Dan Snyder, Washington Redskins billionaire owner. Instead, this happened. And he pops my bandage off, right? And so when he pops the bandage off, it kind of broke the seal over the infection. And so now I've got like two or three days worth of like pus and disgustingness in my knee and it erupted like a green mayonnaise volcano and smelled like absolute death. <laughs> and, and I remember like, again, I'm, you know, I'm sedated, right? So I'm kind of laughing about it. The doctor's laughing, but there's like a six inch stream shooting vertically out of my knee of pus. And I, all I remember is like looking up and, and Joe <laughs> coach Gibbs is like kind of leaning over the bed looking like, Oh my gosh. Right. And then but Mr. Snyder is standing like and slowly backing away from me. Right. Like this. Right. And he's turning the color of the stuff that's coming out of my knee. And he's absolutely like, like he's kind of like, you know, looks like he's going to throw up. And he's and, it, and it's just like and, and then the doctor, you know, he's laughing. He covers it back up. And and, and it was just one of those deals where it was so surreal. Right. And, and at some point in the whole thing, like he actually asked. Are you going to sue us? Wow. That was Brandon Noble with the green mayonnaise pus story and how Dan Snyder was only concerned about one thing, not how he was doing, not how that felt, but if he was going to sue the Washington Redskins. Ross, that's tough to top. Yeah, because it's not only hilarious and the only time you'll ever hear green mayonnaise volcano ever on any airwaves, but also kind of reinforces what people think about Daniel Snyder. Yeah. Yeah. And I will never, as long as I live unsee the green mayonnaise pus volcano. All right. What is far more palatable is Disney princesses. And of course, being a former NFL player, Ross Tucker has a take on princesses who should be who shouldn't be considered some of the greatest princesses of all time i love them all i know them all but he didn't like that i'm a fan of Belle of beauty and the beast fame and here's why give me yours okay okay i've thought about this all morning as you Clearly. know these are the type of things <laughs> type of things i lose sleep about that and Monday Night Football. Uh, I'm going to go top three, but I'm going to give an honorable mention to Belle because she's a voracious reader. I like that she really likes to read. I like to read. I I like to watch TV less and less other than sports every day. No, let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. You're yeah. wrong. I hate Belle. Okay? 
Number one, number one, Bell's a nerd. I don't need someone reading that much. We're trying to have a good time in life. I don't need to read my- Secondly, she turns down the greatest Disney character of all time. Yes. Gaston. Gaston. That's how can Tucker. you not? How can you, how, how can you not want to date Gaston? She'd rather date a beast than Gaston. Gaston is exactly what you're looking for in a man. Okay, he is perfect, and Belle denies him for no reason. Gaston's my favorite Disney character. That guy is Gaston. You are Gaston. That's why he's your favorite Disney character of all time. I'll take it. That guy's awesome. I'd, be, I'd happily be Gaston. Gaston runs shit. He's probably awesome at beer pong. Gaston has his priorities right. I love Gaston. He gets shit on for no reason. He's a hero, okay? Everybody, men want to be him. Women want to be with him. Gaston. Can you sing the song? Um, I don't know. I, I know it's like no one something like Gaston. No one doesn't like Gaston. No, 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 like Gaston. But I don't actually know the words. Yeah, all I remember is no one drinks like Gaston. No one shoots like Gaston. You are Gaston. One of my favorite Disney characters, underrated Disney character, is Flynn Rider. He's from the Rapunzel movie Tangled. Flynn Rider's outstanding because he's a criminal. And he's kind of, uh, uh, you know, rough around the edges. Check that movie out. Have you seen Tangled? Like parts of it. I never really sat there and watched the whole thing. Oh, it's fantastic. You got to go back and watch Tangled with those little girls. They're going to love it. And you're going to really appreciate Flynn Rider. Up next on Best Home and Home Comedy is, of course, the legendary Frank Caliendo, who can impersonate Anyone in the sports universe and even politics and came on this show and did some John Gruden, did some Donald Trump, did some Stephen A. Smith. And the beauty of it is he veers in and out of characters without even prompting, going into a little bit of a Jim Rome here. Listen to the legendary comedian Frank Caliendo. Whatever. I'll just go Jim Rome on him and it'll be incredible, phenomenal and arugula. How great did this segment just get? Went from being Caliendo <laughs> talking to myself to being me telling you how great your ratings are. Incredible. It does not get any better than this. Wait a second. If there were two me's, that would be better. Double Rome. <laughs> Double Rome. Two times. Milton Jr. In- might have gone with the exponential. Don't interrupt my pauses. <laughs> You realize how tired my arm is from holding this phone the entire time? I can't believe you've been holding that Look at this. How great is this? Even a finger, a hand in front of the Jim Rome impression is still better than just about anything else that could be on the internet. How great is this? Take a look at this. I'm almost a pirate. Ridiculous. You're going to walk the plank, and I'm going to hop over there on my peg leg. Guess what? Now I'm going to get a parrot and have him sit on my shoulder. A peg leg. A patch of your Frank Caliendo and Ross, the beauty of that one is we didn't ask him to do Jim Rome. A lot of the other impersonations that he nailed, we asked him to get in character. That one, he just accidentally veered into. 
Yeah, that guy, um, I think he's absolutely amazing. I'm a gigantic fan. That whole Rome thing was, I mean, I was almost in tears with that one, especially oh. I am a pirate. Look how great this is. Like, <laughs> it is unbelievable how good he is at those. And the dude held up an iPhone for what I think was north of a 20-minute interview, which he deserves a prize for, should win Best Comedy just for that. And lastly, there was a reaction to Kelly Kay. Who's Kelly Kay? She's an Instagram model, influencer, if you will, kind of stripper. She was the streaker at the Super Bowl that you may have not seen in the broadcast. She jumped on the football field at the Super Bowl earlier in the game and was arrested and this was all for publicity, shag mag style, like we saw at the World Series. Kaylee Kay boasted of an additional 100,000 Instagram followers on this program and said that she felt the best part was that she was inspiring people to maybe take that leap. Yes, literally, that leap out of her seats onto the field to get arrested, to get famous. Because why the fuck not? It's 2020. Well, Nick Costos was not buying that inspiration. From You Better You Bet, here's Costos. Nick, how much did you even hear or know that there was a streaker during the Super Bowl? I, I had no idea. And also, I think she's a tremendous loser. And I kind of wish that I were on it so I could have said that to her, that I think she's a huge loser. But then, like, once I, I saw some of it, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, she gives that rant about changing people's lives. It's like, you have no talent. You jumped over, you, you ran onto the field at the Super Bowl. Like, it was not a humanitarian thing. She's a loser. She's got no fucking talent whatsoever. <laughs> Congratulations, you got your Instagram following. I bet you she's never read a fucking book in her life. Could change, you could change your life overnight. Congratulations, you're a fucking criminal and you've got no fucking talent whatsoever. <laughs> change your life. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. You're, you take your clothes off on social media for a following, and that's great. God bless. She's all about, she, that girl would probably push her grandmother in front of a bus for a million Instagram followers. Oh, you can change your life overnight. Just come out and say what you are. You're a clout chaser. That's what Julia Rose says. I respect Julia Rose for that. This chick wants to come on and be like, oh yeah, we ever, you can, this is like my message to the youth of America. You can change your life if you want to. Get the fuck out. Like, how self-righteous and lacking self-awareness do you have to have to have that? Nick Costos crushing the Super Bowl streaker, Kelly Kay. I have to admit, Ross, I felt very differently about Julia Rose as I did Kelly Kay. We fell in love with Julia Rose here on this program, whether we liked it or not. Kelly Kay, I wasn't buying that bullshit either and probably should have called her out or brought in Nick Costos as part of that interview. Hey everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.